we're going to be having a look at a scripture in Romans chapter 6, verse 15 to 23. And I've been spending quite a bit of time pouring over the scripture because it's radically changed the way I think about my relationship with God. We can overcome anything in life if we think that God thinks well of us. Think about it. If we know that God loves us and God thinks well of us, think about how much we can overcome in life. Did I get an amen on that? I think Facebook is giving me all those little hearts. No one in the room is. So it's, it's, it's fine. But uh, no, I'm joking. But um, when, I know that w- when I know that my dad, my, my earthly dad, thought well of me and was proud of me, I had a much better approach to life. Think about it. A lot of our issues as kids and certainly as we grow up come from the fact that we think our earthly parents didn't think very much of us. Comments like, you'll never amount to much, stick with us a whole lot more than I'm proud of you, my boy. And if said often enough, we believe that God isn't happy with us, and as a result, we go our own way and decide what we should be doing to fill the God void, and we don't feel like God is proud in us, and we try and fill other things, and we put other things in that hole. Am I making sense? So when, when, when our earthly mother and father don't necessarily feel that they proud of us. Maybe I'm a, a young girl. Maybe I'm a young, young woman. And when my dad doesn't think highly of me, I impute that over to other relationships in my life. And all of a sudden, I don't think very highly of myself. And I settle in on abusive relationship after abusive relationship. Am I making sense? Hey, when, when I, as a young man, don't think that my father's proud of me, I go out on my own and do whatever it takes to prove that I'm good enough to be loved. And I, and I try and show off that I'm a big man. And I do stupid things at a young age because I want to show everybody that I can handle without my dad. Am I the only sinner in the room? Oh, come on. And so when we think about it, God's understanding, God's opinion of us really matters. If that's what it does to us on a basic level in the physical Can you imagine the spiritual implications of us not thinking that God is proud of us? Can you imagine the spiritual implications of us thinking that we have to go out and do it on our own? We have to go out and prove. We have to go out and take control. We have to go out and decide what's right and what's wrong. Can you understand that in the spiritual, we don't have much room to make a mistake? Because the implications and ramifications are so much bigger. Am I making sense? So when we have a look with that in mind, I'd like you to open up your notes, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. We're going to read through about eight verses. It's going to be on the screens as well. And then we're going to discuss what those verses mean to us. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Well... Let's, let's read it and then see what we... Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You become the slave to whatever you choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. Everyone say death. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you are wholeheartedly obeyed this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. 
Previously, you let yourself be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led even to deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy, holy ground. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed, say ashamed, of the things you used to do. Anybody else in the room? Things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages, or many translations say, for the consequences of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. How many of you have an addiction, an issue, a problem, a thought process that you have been trying to get rid of in your life for a long time? Don't have to show your hands. I appreciate that's a personal question. But when we have something, a habit or a behavior that we try and get rid of, we don't want to do, we know it is wrong. We know it's, it's not, it might not be a massive, massive issue, but we know that there's certain behavior in our lives that's drawing us back. Having that extra candy bar, eating that extra burger, drinking that extra beer, it's not going to cripple your eternity, but it's going to limit your current humanity. And we've all got these little things in our lives that we try and get a rule base out of. Think about it. If I know that my diet is incorrect, I go on a rule-based diet. Can eat this, can eat this, can eat this, can eat this, binge. Oh, start again. Can eat this, can eat this, can eat this, binge. Oh, start again. And we get caught in the cycle of what the scripture says. We get entrapped. We get enslaved to our weaknesses. Because we're so busy trying to come up and combat the consequence of sin. Have a look at what it says, verse 23. For the consequences of sin is death. The consequences. Not sin. It could have said, for the consequences of sin, or it should have just said, sin leads to death. But it says the consequences of sin. How many of you know that we call the consequences of sin, sin? And then we wonder why we're doing battle with supposed sin and not getting it right. The consequences of sin lead to drug abuse. The consequences of sin lead to immorality. The consequences of sin are all of those things. But we as a Christian community have given the name of the consequences of sin. We just call that sin. How many of you know that if I cheat on my taxes, consequence of sin, that's not sin itself? That's a consequence of sin. What's the difference? Well, this scripture is pretty plain that there was an original sin. There was a thing called sin. And because of that original sin, there's been consequences through human society that have caused us to do wrong. Satan introduced this original sin knowing that the consequences would be drug abuse, alcohol abuse, addictions, shame, being ashamed, being what, greedy. He knew that he's not creating greed. We create the consequence of sin. He just created the original sin. Satan is not that creative. He can't be. He's not the creator. 
So all he did was he manipulated an initial pebble in the pool that's caused ripples throughout time, and we've called the ripple sin when in actual fact the pebble in the pool was the sin. Am I making any sense? We try and combat the consequences, but not the root cause. We're busy fighting our diet, but not what actually caused us to be ashamed and ashamed into eating like we eat. We try and combat our porn addiction, but we don't try and deal with the root cause, the root issue of not having a good relationship with God. And as a result, we're so busy trying to law-base our lives. I will not watch. I will not see. I will not look. I will not watch. I will not see. I will not look. Ah, oh, I did it again. Because we're trying to deal with the consequence and not the root cause. How much of my life I have given mental space to try and combat the consequence of sin as opposed to leaning into Jesus Christ to take care of the root issue. When we try and deal with the consequences of sin on our own, we get caught up in law. We'll not eat this, we'll do this, won't do this, we'll do that. And we know what the law brings. The law brings shame. And as soon as we break it, we try and do more law to get better. And we, we get like the little boy that was riding down the road on his bicycle to go to the store for his mother. And as he's riding, the chain comes off his bicycle. So he picks up his bicycle, runs all the way home, fixes it, and goes off again to the store. Halfway to the store this time, the chain comes off again. So he picks up his bicycle, runs all the way back home again, puts the chain on, and then goes back to the store. And that's what we do when we get caught up in trying to resolve the consequences of sin. We get on a good thing. We're doing our Bible reading. We're not, and we're not addicted. We're not going to shame. We're feeling good about ourselves. Then the chain comes off. Oh, I've got to go right back to the beginning again and start all over. Uh, we go all the way back to the beginning. We pick up all of our nonsense and all of our issues and all, and we come traipsing back to the pastor to say, okay, pastor, what's next? Where Jesus has enabled you to, while you are on the road, fixing the issue and getting going again. You don't have to keep going back, keep going back. But when we're dealing with the consequences of sin, the scripture tells us that we get trapped in this law-based thinking. We get enslaved to the consequences of sin. And when we get enslaved to the consequences of sin, we die. How many of you know that failure, in the face of a major issue in your life, feels like death? We just don't want to go on. I've tried beating this thing for I don't know how long. I've tried putting down that drug for I don't know how long. I've tried not cutting myself for I don't know how long. I've tried not thinking the thoughts I think I don't know how long. I've tried not being attracted to a member of the same sex for I don't know how long. And we try and deal with the consequence. And then we build laws around that. Well, if you feel like that, you can't be in the church. And what do we do? We kill people. We kill people. We make them feel so bad about themselves, so dirty about themselves, that they don't believe that they can come anywhere near anything that is pure and clean, like God. Amen? The church is a collection of people that don't try and work out the consequence of sin. They work towards allowing Jesus to work out sin itself so that the consequences have no bearing on them. 
But that doesn't mean to say that every single one of us sitting in this church aren't under the pressure of the consequences of sin. But I'm not entrapped by sin anymore. So therefore, why should I be entrapped by the consequence of sin? Am I making any sense today? We try to combat this, this consequence of sin. So I got to thinking, well, if there's consequences of sin, there's got to be something that's sin. There's got to be a pebble that causes the ripple. Yeah, otherwise, Scripture would have just said sin causes death. But Scripture was very clear. It says the consequences, the wages of sin. So there's got to be sin, and then there's got to be the consequences of sin. And I better know what the difference is. Because if I get caught up and enslaved to the consequences of sin, I'm going to die. I don't want to die. So I better know what sin is, and I better know what the consequences are. Am I making sense? So... I read that scripture in verse 16. Go there again. Verse 16 of Romans chapter 6. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. Say it with me. Or, opposite, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. What's the flip side of sin? Or... Obey God. Our core sin is obedience to God. The consequences of being obedient to God are blessings. The consequences of being disobedient to God is malediction. And we're so caught up into trying sorting out the malediction in our lives that we miss our obedience to God as the root cause for all of the issues in our lives. I want to say this to you. If you're not enjoying the blessing of God, check your obedience to Him. You see, grace is relational. God gives it to you completely, freely. It's yours. There's no conditions on His love. There's no conditions on His grace. But blessings, blessings, life, having a good life, an abundant life, that's conditional. But we think that because we get God's love without having to do anything, we can get His blessings without having to do anything. Am I making sense? We don't get His grace and His love because we've done anything. That's taken care of. But blessings, well, they come from obedience. And we've mixed the two. We think that because I've given my life to Jesus, I can do whatever I like and there'll be no consequence. And then we wonder why we're not feeling blessed. I've just come back from South Africa where we had to see some people that are engaged in a lifestyle that's clearly in disobedience to God's word. And the depression and alcoholism and negativity and, and downright just being thick in the muds. No life, no joy. No excitement for what's coming tomorrow. Just getting through today because they're dragging this big baggage of consequence of sin. And the consequence of sin is their life doesn't line up. Is their eternity taken care of? Yes. Does God love them? Yes. Is God going to see them to heaven if they call on the name of Jesus? Yes. But they're going to act like there's hell on earth now before they get to heaven. I'd rather be acting like heaven now. When I get there, I can celebrate what I've already been living. I don't want to get to heaven and go, oh, thank God you took me from that hellhole. I want to get to heaven going, woohoo! The ride just got even better. 
I want to get to heaven celebrating that which I've already been sowing and reaping because I want to continue sowing and reaping in obedience to God for the rest of time and beyond. So, obedience, according to this scripture, is not a weight to bear. How many of you, when you think of the word obedience, it means obeying the laws? I better, I better not step out of law. No, obedience, according to this scripture, means life. Obedience to God means blessing and blessing. Obedience to God means glory to glory. Obedience to God means abundant abundance. Come on now. I would rather be obedient to a king that blesses me supernaturally and give up my own desire to decide what is right and wrong. Okay. So, obedience is not a weight to bear, but a tool to resist the consequences of sin in our lives. If you're suffering with an addiction, check your obedience. And I'm not talking about obedience to do what God says you must do. I'm talking about obedience to see yourself as God sees you. Big difference. When we approach obedience law-based, we're thinking, okay, what's the 10 things I haven't done and that's why I'm being cursed? No, 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 you've missed it. Obedience in this context is relationship to life itself. When you are disobedient to God, you are breaking relationship with life itself. Death, that's what the scripture says. And so sin is therefore simply disobedience to God's promises over your life. Let's have a look at what I mean. Adam and Eve promised all sorts of things. Promised this world. Promised that they would have in subjection the fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven. Promised that they would fill the earth and subdue it. Promised that they needed to do and they needed to get done. And they needed to be the king of kings and lord of lords of the earth, not of all things. They were in authority. They were promised a whole bunch, right? What happened? Did God break his promise? No. They broke the desire to simply be blindly obedient to God. No matter what Satan said about them, no matter what Satan said about the tree, they chose to start reasoning themselves as opposed to just being blindly obedient. But is God just pushing me around the chessboard and just doing, I'd rather be pushed around the chessboard in abundance than be pushed around the, to the chessboard in want, lack, perversion, and addiction. So I don't give a rip if people say, oh, God's just this big controller in the sky that pushes us around and just wants us to be obedient. He wants us to be obedient. Why? According to Romans chapter 6, so that we can have life. How many of you know driving through Bacchito at 70 miles an hour is a problem? How many of you know that? How many of you know that defying God's authority over who we are, what we are, and our purpose is going to bring you a problem? Going too fast in life when God is saying you slow down, or going too slow in life when God is saying speed up, you're going to have a problem. Your life is going to seem to either be dragging or whistling past you. But obedient to God means that I see myself as the dad he sees me as. I see myself as the husband that he sees me as. And as a result, the husband that I am lifts its game. The father that I am lifts its game. The perversions and the attractions and the negativity in my life that pervert who I am all of a sudden start falling away because God doesn't see that in me. I'm not going, oh God, I hope you didn't see that. 
I'm looking at God going, what else do you see of me, Father? I want to be more like that. I want to be more like you. I want to, what, what do you see? How do you see me handling the situation? How do you see me being, oh, more than a conqueror? Okay, weed, I'm not interested because I'm more than a, okay, tobacco, I don't give a, okay, alcohol, I don't need you because I've got more than a conqueror looking after me. I stand on my tiptoes going, God, what's next? As opposed to trying to decide for myself what's right and wrong in my life. How many of you have been in that situation where you try to decide on yourself? How many of you realize it didn't go too well? Trying to decide what was wrong and right in my life ended me in a police holding cell. Where Jesus had to come down in that cell and tell me that it was time for me to be obedient to him. And I went, anything you say, Lord. Because the way I've been doing it, that's been leading to some death. Am I making sense? So, sin is therefore disobedient. Have a look at what it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's not going to come up on the screens. Only Romans is going to come up on the screens. Genesis chapter 3, 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the tree of every tree in the garden, except the tree of what? The knowledge of good and evil. The right to decide what's wrong and what's right. As soon as you take on that authority, you're going to die. How many of you have been so wrapped up in the decision that you'd rather die? It becomes so, do I go here? Don't I do this? Do I do this? What do I do? How do I do this? You know how much brain space we take up on making decisions that God has already told us what the decision is. Oh, I'm never going to amount to much. I'm going to live my whole life. Oh, oh, oh. And God's called you more than a conqueror. If you just get out of what you've been told and stop trying to decide what's right and wrong about your life and just believe what God says about you, what you break the addiction of shame and being ashamed of who you are. Am I making any sense tonight? You see, our obedience to God is not about a law-based thing. It's about accepting the life that He has for us and being obedient to the promises that He's laid out in front of us. But as soon as we allow the consequences of sin to catch a hold of us, we, decide to, we, we try and decide what's right and what's wrong. And as soon as we take on that responsibility, God says we certainly begin to die. As soon as we decide that maybe I can be like God in this instance, we begin to die. Now, I know when, yeah, I'm going to share very personally now, but I know before Jesus Christ, I used to do things to take away the pain. And how many of you know that God said, I'm the only one that can take away the pain? So I would take and consume things into my body just for a moment to take away the pain that only God can take away. I was deciding what was wrong and right. I took on the responsibility of how to take away the pain. And as a result, it led to a further shame, which led to further pain, which led to a further desire to take away the pain. And I got deeper and deeper and deeper into darkness and death. And you're seeing how if I just listened and gone to Jesus to relieve the pain, I would have avoided the death and the darkness. And I wouldn't be going on my knees asking the Lord to take away pictures out of my memory because I never want to see myself in that situation ever again. I wouldn't have to beg and plead with the Lord to help me 
deal with the psychology and the effect of me trying to decide what's right and wrong. The ultimate sin in your life is trying to be like God over your life. As soon as you decide that you are God over your life, you take Jesus off the throne and you put your imperfect mind in its place. And as a result, there can be no relationship. You're not being obedient because you're being obedient to your own thoughts. How many of you have tried living by the way you feel? How many of you sometimes just wake up in the morning and you decide that today is going to be an angry day? I'm just going to be angry today. I have no reason to be angry. I'm just going to be, it's going to be an angry day. I have absolutely no reason to get upset with anybody on the road as I drive to work, but I'm, ha I'm having an angry day over here. Oh, come on, I'm not the only sinner. Or then I decide to have a good day. Bank manager's calling. I should have paid bills. I should have done a whole, but I'm having a good day, so I'm not going to do any of that stuff. I'm having a good day over here. Don't bug me. We decide how we feel, and then we live our lives according to how we feel. We feel that God doesn't love me, so therefore God doesn't exist. Therefore, Darwin must have had a good thing going with evolution. You see what I mean? We think that we can take on things and take on our own decisions and decide who we think we are and how we feel about ourselves, and we can push the God of love away because we know where we can get love from in that boyfriend, in that girlfriend, and then when that doesn't pan out, we feel less about ourselves, so we go on to the next broken relationship, and the next piece of us gets left behind because of sexual immorality, and we start giving ourselves away sexually because we're looking for the happiness and completeness that God wants to put in us. We're deciding where we get that from as opposed to letting God decide where we get it from. And so this development of God, we feel that God doesn't love us, doesn't come from a place of God not loving us. It comes from a place of us not accepting that what he's spoken about us is true. Isn't that obedience? But our human nature is, when somebody says don't touch, we touch. But have a look at it. Let's go to that verse. Verse 19. Because of the weakness of your human nature, what do you think Apostle Paul was talking about? When God says don't, we do. When God says, do, we don't. That's the human nature. Because of your human nature, the law was such a mess with the Israelites because God said, do not murder. So what did they go and do? They went and murdered. Do not take that, that wife from a foreign nation. So what did they do? They entertained the woman from Canaan. The minute God said, don't do something, human nature said, well, I'm going to go and do it. You know where that started? With humans trying to decide what's wrong and right. Adam and Eve, don't pick up that tree. They picked up that, and all of a sudden their eyes were opened, and now they could decide. Whoa! And they spazzed out on good and bad. Human psyche couldn't handle deciding what was right and wrong. That's why God didn't give the human psyche that ability, not because he withheld something from us, but because we made in his image. And in God's image, there is no wrong and right. There's only right. And we're made in his image. So we went contrary to how we've been made. There was no evil in God's image. So when we acted out of harmony with the image, we wondered why it went wrong. So we tried to do something to fix that. And in the end, you know what happens? We get ashamed. We walk out in shame. And then we prop up things in the way so that people don't really see who we are or we don't see who we are. I know when 
when, when we were involved with some uh, lifestyle, I used, to, I used to be able to get really aggressive depending on what substances I would take. So I would be able to gauge if I was having an angry day, I would drink a whole lot of whiskey because that would make me aggressive. And then I would go looking for bar fights because I wanted to prove that all of the anger in me from my dad not being happy with me wasn't justified and I'll show him that I can be a man. And I decided what a man looked like and then acted out on it. I lost a whole lot of teeth. I got a whole lot of noses broken and I did some damage to people that I didn't need to do damage to because of this anger that was welling up in me, this, this depression of not knowing what was wrong and right in my life and, and all of this stuff was coming to bear. And then I began to try and cover over my sin with more addictions and more, con and more, more substances. The worse I felt about myself, the deeper I got into it. Well, you see, the reason we can't cover our sin is because only love, God is love, only love can cover a multitude of sins, Peter 4.8. So we can't cover over our sins unless we cover over our sins with the love of God. But we don't want to feel the love of God because we're deciding what is good and right and wrong. We're deciding when we feel loved or not. So we don't choose God. We're not obedient. So we don't cover over our sins. So we'd rather go away and find a bush and stick it in the way and say, I didn't know you were looking for me, God. It was her, it was him, it was my mother, it was my father, it was what so-and-so did to me, it was that drug dealer, it was that idiot at school that introduced me to weed, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, and we try and cover over our shame, uh, cover over our sin with shame and blame. But the scriptures tell us, be obedient to it, that the only way you can cover sin is by covering it with God, God is love. Wow. See, here's the deal. If love covers a multitude of sin, well, then sin covers a multitude of love. When I'm sinning, being disobedient, I'm running far away from divine love. Making sense? Must have been something I said. No, it's cool. I'll wrap up now, I promise, so no more people leave. Where was I before I was divinely interrupted? So God wants us to obey him, which is the opposite of sin, not to blindly follow him, but so that the divine equation can become true. You know what the divine equation is? Obedience equals life. Not life, kind of. When you go to your home, when you look at your marriage, when you look at the quality of your life, when you look at the levels of alcohol you consume or tobacco that you may or may not want to consume, none of these are going to stop your eternity. But are they building a life that gives testimony to the love of God? It was your life covered over by a whole lot of sin, disobedience to God. It's just bringing you down, weighing you down, dragging it along with you. And so when we have a look at it, if love covers that multitude of sins, then sin covers a multitude of love. If God is love and God is life, 
then surely what he tells us about ourselves is going to be coated in love and not malediction and hatred and hurt. So if you think bad about yourself, or you think, sorry, that was very Oklahomian. If you think badly about yourself, did you notice? Ooh, I'm slipping into bad habits. You guys are a bad influence. Y'all. If you think badly about yourself, know that it's not of God, because God is love. Even when you've sinned, He covers it in love. Even when you've looked at the wrong thing on your computer, even when you've, when you've smoked something you shouldn't have, even when you can't break the addiction of lusting after a man or a woman or a boy or a girl because that makes you feel better about yourself, so you get into cycles of behavior, God is still loving you. And He's just hoping that you will catch a wake up to that love to stop trying to decide what is love and what is not love. Someone got that. The moment we knowingly or even subconsciously deny God in a situation is the moment we're being disobedient. The moment we knowingly or even subconsciously, that's why it's so important to be in the Word when you're fighting an addiction because the Word builds your subconscious response to a flesh desire. Can I say that again? The Word builds a subconscious response to a flesh desire. Can you imagine if you didn't have to think about that obedience or think about putting down the addiction, if you just naturally put down the addiction because you were in the Word? So be obedient when it says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Do you think God wrote that in Scripture so that you could decide whether or not you wanted to come to church or not? We get into little decisions about what's wrong and what's right all the time and then wonder why we're slipping into subconscious behavioral patterns. It's called, it's called uh, impulse control disorder. I can't control my impulses. I subconsciously, when I feel depressed, go and watch porn. I subconsciously, when I'm not feeling good about myself, go and eat too much. I it's just an impulse control disorder. Satan knows. Just make her feel like she can decide what's wrong or right. Just make her decide, you know, I deserve. And then the next time we find ourselves, we're binge watching Netflix, fueling a whole junk of stuff in our face, and then wonder why in six months' time our whole life is spiraled to a space of laziness, depression, and not good enough. Because we haven't been obedient in the moment. And to be obedient in the moment, you've got to be in the Word. If you genuinely want to put down that addiction, you will want to read Leviticus. Reading numbers will not be a problem if you genuinely would rather choose the Word than choosing your addiction. I don't mind reading whatever it takes to get rid of death. Oh, but you know, Revelation is such a difficult book to read. Read the sucker. It'll keep you away from porn, trust me. It'll keep you away from drug addiction, trust me. The Word is the way that you get to a place of subconsciously being obedient to God as your first thought. And that is what brings life. That is what combats the consequences of being disobedient or being into a disobedient race because we're all in a disobedient human society. I can't be perfect, but I can combat the consequences of my human imperfection by being obedient to God. When you were slaves to sin, Genesis 3.20, you were free from the obligation to do what is, sorry, um, 
Romans 6.20, you were free from the obligation to do what is right. And what was the result? You were now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom and gloom. How many of you have ever had an addiction problem? You go through, you submit to the addiction, and you're not even out of the wave of euphoria of that addiction, and you're already starting to feel guilty. Satan's got you on the sin loop. What's the sin loop? I'm going to get you to think that you can decide what you can do. I'm going to get you to think that you have the authority, even according to Scripture, to do what you get decide to do. I've got authority. All authority has been given to me. Really. Not the authority to royally muck it up. So Satan just gets you to convince that you are, you have rights. You have human rights. We have no rights when it comes to the Most High God. This air I breathe, he gives me. It's not my right. This food I eat, I can't handle entitlement people. I'm entitled to believe this. And you must accept me and you must promote me. You know what I'm saying? Go to hell. Because when you become that entitlement process, you're putting God right out, it leads to death, and hell is where you're going. Oh, but I got a right to say, yes, you do. You've got a right to be who you want to be. But you've also got a right to be who God wants you to be. Are you willing to even think for a moment that who you say you are is not who God calls you to be? And that's where this whole tension around sexuality and gender issue comes in. I have a right to decide which restroom I use. No, you have a right to humbly go before the Lord and say, which restroom should I use, Lord? That's the only right you've got, according to Scripture, if you want life. I'm not saying you can't have gender issues. I'm not saying you can't question gender, but the right person to question it with is God because he is the ultimate decider of what's right and what's wrong. I will accept you until the cows come home, until, unless, only if, at least, only if you are repentant and you are going before the Lord like every single one of us asking for his divine direction and not my own. Because the moment you ask for your own direction and preach that from a high place, watch pride cut you down. Pride being the operative word when it comes to gender equality. Pride comes before a crash. And pride is thinking you are God. There was a group of people who did that at Babel one time, and that didn't land too well. Obedience to God, choosing His life and His word over us, is the ultimate success or sin. If you cannot get your head around that God loves you, you are, in fact, walking out the consequences of sin. If you cannot get your mind around that God has grace for you right where you're at and wants to use you despite what you've done, you're going to struggle with shame, condemnation, and being ashamed for the rest of your life. Let me tell you something. If I had to submit my resume with all of my flaws and all of my weaknesses to any job, I would be denied. But when I submit it to God, I am promoted. When I write down all my flaws and my weaknesses, I get depressed. When I give them to God, I get exalted. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? It's called kingdom. And it's how he builds his own. 
And so as you begin to just have a look at, at this, this process, I'm either in a sin loop, being pushed into doing what I want to do, and then being made to feel guilty about it, so guilty that I try and do something I want to do so that I can feel guilty about it, so guilty that I want to do what I want to do so I can feel guilty about it, or I get pushed into the word loop. Here's my promise, if you're obedient to it, you'll have life. When I'm having life from God, I want to be more obedient, I get more life. Life, more obedient, life. The word, life, obedience. Choose the loop you want to be in. The addiction loop, the trapped root, the life of depression, or choose a life where you start believing what God says you are. Not even yourself. The worst voice you can listen to is your own. Man alive, I've had to tell myself to shut up many times. Just shut up, Craig. Just shut up. Leanne arrives back from her travels. We're sitting in the room today. I'm busy putting my final notes together. And she goes, oh, I've got to do this, and I've got to print the notes, and I've got to do... And I saw all of this issue climbing back onto her. I told my wife to shut up. You're back. I'm not going to... I don't want depression and issues and got to do and lists of things to do and what's wrong and what's right climbing back into our lives. I just want to celebrate the fact that you're home. I want to have life with my wife, not the stresses of running a local church. Amen? But we take on the stresses. Oh, I've got to do this because I know what's wrong and what's right in that situation. Stop trying to be like God and just embrace the life he's told you that you have. You know what? If you're feeling like you're entrapped with an addiction, find what's triggering that. What shame has been spoken over you that triggers that need to be propped up by an addiction? Acknowledge the fact that you can do it, but the euphoria is going to get very short. And every single time you do it, the euphoria gets shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. So you do it more and more and more and more. Why? Because you're choosing what you believe is euphoric. I can't tell you how trippy it is to be on the Holy Spirit. I sought it everywhere else. I sought purpose in every other place in the world. But until I found my purpose in the Holy Spirit, man, I wasn't alive. I was just chasing after the wind. And so when we look at that scripture, sin is not the consequences that we're trying to defeat. Obedience or disobedience is what we should be looking at as the root cause. Did you get something out of tonight? I only preached off my notes, but anyway. Next week, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? Adam and Eve come to God and say, oh, I didn't come to you because I, I was naked. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Where have you received your condemnation and shame from? Who told you that you were naked next week? Amen. Consequences of sin. All righty. What did you learn? Anybody want to type? You could type it in the, in, the, in the Facebook chat room. If you're in chat, I'll take your comments online. If you are in the room, what did you learn? I want to just quickly share. Anybody get anything out of tonight? And the whole audience goes quiet.
Amen. Amen. And if you read that Romans chapter 6, I'm not just camping on this. He, the moment shame crept into the world, the moment human society tried to decide that they were better than God, God spoke the solution. My seed will conquer your seed. Immediately, he spoke a solution. So even in that sinful moment of Adam and Eve casting the whole of human society and race into sin, God spoke the solution. He loved them enough to speak the solution. Even in your addiction moment, when you're so high, you don't know what time it is, God is going, I have a solution for you. Why do you think so many people, while they're on drug comes, drugs, come to Jesus? Because it's so wide open, it's so open to what God, all of a sudden God can step in. And people come to a realization that the life that they're leading is leading down to nowhere. But God speaks to them and says, hey, I've got a better way. It happened to me. Trust me. Anybody else learn anything? Only one thing. Jeez, didn't do a very good job. Amen. We speak shame and condemnation without even knowing. Consciously, God didn't call you that. But we decide that that's how we're going to feel, and we say things that we don't mean. Yeah? Not that to condemn you. But we, do you see how simple it is just to get trapped in what God says? And so tonight, as we come to the table, understand that God loves you. Understand that God wants to cover your sins with his love, not expose them with his judgment. But we can choose. And I tell you that our shame and condemnation that drives us to try and find things to prop ourselves up with just pushes us to more sin. The sin being disobedient to God. I don't want to be obedient to a life of death. I don't want to be entrapped by www.sickstuff.com. I don't even know if that exists. Don't go and look it up. Everybody goes off and registers the domain sickstuff.com. I don't want I don't want to I don't want to be taking photographs of myself naked and sharing that with the world. I, I don't want to be engaging in things that I shouldn't be engaging in. I, I don't want to be giving myself away before I say I do so that when I say I do I've got so much guilt and shame and condemnation going into that beautiful moment I want to be living a life that's building up to those glorious moments all the time I want to be a 13 year old that's building a life to become a good husband and a good wife and a good mother and a good father I don't want to be deciding at 13, 14 years of age what's wrong and what's right and then wondering why my life is going to hell. And I end up cutting myself and abusing myself and abusing others. And, and then I grow up and I wonder why I'm an abusive father and why I'm an abusive mother. Because you let the abusive thoughts of this world get at you. And then you were, had to wrestle with 
is that right or is that wrong? Is that really real about me? Is it true that I'm never going to amount to much? Is it true that I'm a no good nothing? Is it true? Is it true? Is it true? And we begin wrestling with this, what's right and what's wrong? And God says, the moment you do that, you're going to get trapped in darkness. But if someone says to me, you're good for nothing, the bottom end of a pond scum, nothing, I go, no, I'm not. I don't know where you got your information from. Satan, where were you when Jesus was placing me at his right hand? Hey, Satan, where were you when God called me chosen, not disregarded? Hey, Dad, when you call me those names, you can call them to me, but you know what? I'm going to honor you because God asked me to honor you, but I'm not going to receive what you say about me. When people, adults, do things to, to you as a youth, and it's abusive and it's terrible, you either get to decide that that's your worth or you get to decide that you're worth more. That's when we look at people who overcome the greatest difficulties in life, when we, when we look at people that overcome the greatest challenges in life, look at what they do. They don't believe that they have a right to choose between right and wrong. They do the right thing at the right time every time. Why? Because they're obedient to the principles and promises of God. Trust me. God wants you to enjoy a beautiful sexual relationship when you get married. Why? Because He wants it to be the most pure, beautiful thing in your life. Don't go throwing that away on some sick material and some sick desire to feel loved. What's that? And then you find somebody that genuinely loves you with everything you've got and you've got so, everything they've got and you've got so much baggage and so much negativity and so much shame that you push somebody good away because you don't want to be close to them. And that's God's way of saying, I don't care about that. I'm still going to bring you somebody good. So just because you've done wrong things doesn't mean to say that God's not trying to bless you with an incredible life if you'll just believe what He says about you. And the best place to get what He says about you is right here in church. Church isn't about a whole bunch of rules and regulations and about coming to youth to get pizza. Church is about coming to the God that wants to tell you every single time you hear how much He loves you, so that you can go and face the abuse, that you can go and face the negativity, that you can go and face the name-calling, that you can go and face the devil and tell him where to go to hell. So make some right choices. Even if you make the wrong ones, take those wrong choices back to God. The only choice is not making the wrong or right decision. The only right choice is making every decision with God. Open up his Bible. Even if you think for a moment the word is saying, don't have sex before marriage, rather go and check it out before you jump into a broken relationship that's going to cause you malediction and hurt for the rest of your life. Even if you think the Bible says, hang on, I need to question my sexuality with God. Well, then go and question it with God. Don't worry about what the church says or doesn't say or what the next door neighbor says. Let me tell you something. The church is just as much to blame for condemnation that causes sin as anybody else is. Because we call people names and we judge them and we push them aside. 
because they're not like us. Praise Jesus. They're not like us. Anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What does that mean? Anybody who takes their life and presents it to God and says, I want to be obedient to you, will be saved. Anybody. Not just people who come to Victory Life Church. Anybody. Messed up, sick, smelly, twisted, backward, forthright, successful, highly successful. Anybody. Just because someone's got it together doesn't mean to say they've got it together with God. How many of you know most of the wealthiest people in the world are the most hurting people in the world? We look at their lives and we go, wow. I obviously didn't make some right investment. No. Just take it to God. That's the kind of person that He wants. Before you engage in your relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, take it to God. Before you take your clothes off and jump into bed with somebody before you're married, take it to God. Before you snort, weed, sniff, stick in a needle in your arm, take it to God. Before you believe the bullies of your schoolyard, take it to God. Before you accept what your father and your mother do and say to you, take it to God. Is that what you're calling me, Father? Because if I got God's name on my back, I've got no other need for any other name. Those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved from a lot of trouble, a lot of hurt, and a lot of addiction. Take it to God. Oh, but, but, but I just texted him. I just sent a, a bad picture. I just did this. I just did that. Well, take the next step to God. I've made many mistakes in my life. I go, oh, shouldn't have done that. Father, what should I do next? If Adam and Eve had gone to the Father and said, oops, what should we do next, Father? There would have been no need for Jesus because there would have been immediate repentance. And Satan would have been called a liar right there in that moment. But as soon as they accepted the shame and transposed that to blame, Satan had a foothold. Maybe he was right. He's not right. The addiction that you're suffering, it pains me to know that you could be free of that addiction. Right now, tonight, whether it's cussing, whether it's taking drugs, whether it's thinking badly about yourself, whether it's just thinking sometimes that you're not good enough, you're in habits that God doesn't want you to have. He wants you to have the habit of life. So with every eye closed and head bowed, let's just break some habits. 